Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you are listening to it for the first time, I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also very good friends. I like to believe that there is somebody each week that this is their first time they're listening to this podcast, and they're like, wow, he's talking directly to me. Right, Ben? Sammy's full of beliefs. Uh, I have so, so many things to I fully buy it's into. What, it's what keeps me going. I fully buy into the fact that that's part of his worldview. Um, that is the voice of Ben Hunting. Benjamin Hunting is what he's commonly known by. And you can find his work all over the internet. Ben, just plug your stuff. Go for it. Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook. And if you hurry, there's a few days left in the Kickstarter campaign for Dead Air, which is my current graphic novel. We're on issue two, but you can get both issues right now uh, until I believe really early in the morning on February 29th. So don't, don't don't let it slide too late. But if you're interested, it's a 90s college radio sci-fi with a soundtrack. And it exists in a world that asks, what if one day a year you could talk to the dead? So if any of that interests you, or if you enjoyed Code 45, which was um, my previous graphic novel, I think you'll like Dead Air as well. I know a lot of podcast listeners have been supporting the book, and I'm very, very grateful for that. So thank you. Uh, one of the coolest things that you've been doing with your uh, comic book is the Spotify playlists that go along with it. Yeah, we we tried to. So each of the DJs who I didn't mean to end that with a question mark. But I just wanted you to continue <laughs> that conversation because I think that's really cool. Each of the characters are the DJ characters has their own specific genre of music that they love. So what we've been doing is putting together like '90s era music playlists uh from those genres so we have like alternative rock we have brit pop we have electronic dance music and we're working our way through it but those are the ones that we have for the current campaign so if you go to deadaircomic.com you can find all of the updates for the campaign even if you're not a supporter you can watch the updates or read the updates and those have links to the spotify playlist and we're on facebook as well it's uh, i believe it's studio alpaca which is the name of our comic book collective. And you can find all the Dead Air information there. But deadaircomic.com is where you can get the book or read about the book. It's up to you. All right, that's enough about your comic book. Although I, I can talk to you all day. I don't, I'm not sure that's what people come to the podcast to listen to uh, listen to the comic book. They want to talk about cars. They want Un- to hear us talking about cars, right? Unnamed comic book podcast. Unnamed comic book co- podcast where we talk about unnamed comics that you're working it's on? It's really confusing. It's it like, very confusing. Yeah, we're just moving from one story to another. Um, I, I would love to do a comic book podcast, but I think that's even more expensive than, do you think it's more expensive than writing about cars, talking about cars? You, you think there's a cost to talking about comics? I'm confused. I mean, you have to read the comics and some occasionally you have to pay for them. I mean, I don't know how you do it, but I pay for my, comics. I use my eyes to read. That's how I do it. I, that's but generally, how do you get them in front of your eyes? I, I go to a comic book store and I exchange money for goods and or services. See, that's what I'm talking about. That's expensive. But I guess gas and electricity can be expensive. Can be, yes. <laughs> the way the way you do it, maybe. Um, which is to say, we're talking about some electrified vehicles this week, right? Sammy, where can we find your work? You just kind of skipped over oh, that. Oh, really? You stopped, have you stopped working? <laughs> I don't know. Um, you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, and Nouveau Magazine. Ben, let's talk about cars. Come on. I, I, I queued us up with a, with a segue that we didn't even get to use. I feel embarrassed, to be honest. There's two cars that I want to talk about this week. Okay, great. First one is... Your car and my car. 
No. <laughs> you have two cars? Wow. I, I, I Way know. to take over the podcast. But I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. I just kind of want to do highlights on them because uh, one of them is a car we've talked about before. One of them is a car that I had some issues with. And that is the 2024 Mazda CX-90 Hybrid, Sammy. Now, this is a plug-in hybrid. It's one of Mazda's only plug-in hybrid vehicles. Yeah, I believe it is the only one. And back in, I want to say August, we talked about the regular Mazda CX-90, which has their new turbocharged straight-six straight six engine. It has a rear-wheel drive platform. It was kind of presented as a car that was, or an SUV, I guess, that was supposed to push Mazda higher into the premium space where they've been longing to be for so many years. And the general consensus that you and I had was it's a great looking vehicle that is kind of let down by a drivetrain that gets really great gas mileage, but isn't as fast as any of its rivals. So really great gas mileage on the turbocharged six is what you're saying. Turbo six is, is very, was very impressive just in terms of, if you look at like something like a Ford Explorer, for example, or a Traverse, the similarly sized three rows, it, it really blows them away. But, uh, when it comes to acceleration, it doesn't. And that's even, I think it has something like 365 horsepower around there. I could be wrong. It might be a little less, but it's slower to 60 than less mighty um, competitors. And that's kind of a problem. I think if you're going to give someone a luxury experience, you want it to be well-rounded and you need more than just looks and more than just fuel mileage. You kind of need to have a driving experience that's engaging. And this was just more of a so-so experience. Okay, okay. So now that we're going into this plug-in hybrid model, yes. um, what are the major changes to the powertrain? Okay. I mean, obviously, there's an electric motor somewhere there. It's still the turbocharged 6? It's not the turbocharged 6. So okay. what happens with the plug-in hybrid is you're going into four-cylinder territory. It has a 2.5-liter four-cylinder engine, which is turbocharged, right. but it, it comes with a single electric motor. And the CX-90 hybrid, I'm going to keep calling it that because that's what Mazda calls it. They don't call it the PHEV, even though it is a plug-in. But, okay. Or I'm sorry, in, in, in the US, it's called the PHEV. In Canada, it's called the hybrid. Just okay. to be clear about that. Can I talk to you really quickly? Can I stop you before you go into whatever you're about to say next? Of course. Because when you have more equipment in a vehicle, it wakes, and you make that vehicle heavier, it makes more sense to downsize the engine? So it's considerably <laughs> heavier. <laughs> Than the CX-9, which is a vehicle that came before it. It is like okay. 700 pounds heavier than the CX-9, which is a vehicle... What about the CX-90, the two versions of the CX-9? I don't have the numbers. Okay. But the okay. CX-9 is a vehicle I'm bringing up because I like it. I liked it a lot. It looked <laughs> well, good. Can I bring up some cars that I like? It was relatively fun. No. Okay. Maybe later. Okay. Um, but the CX-90 hybrid, the PHEV, power-wise, price-wise, it's like plunked down in the middle. It's got 323 horsepower and 369 pound-feet of torque. In Canada, it starts at $58,000. In the U.S., it starts at $49,945. And it tops okay. out at fifty-seven in the States, tops out at sixty-seven in Canada. The weird thing is, price-wise, it um, it's like the same price as the signature model that of the non-hybrid version. And the signature model is legitimately nice inside. Like, it has upgraded materials you really notice a difference but for the plug-in you don't get a signature model you just get the gt model in canada and i think in the u.s it's called phev premium plus uh so you're kind of paying more for less which is a little bit odd okay the the other odd thing about this hybrid drivetrain 
is that 323 horsepower needs 93 octane fuel, Sammy. Ooh, okay. <laughs> and if you don't put in 93 octane, it makes four less horsepower. Hey, that's not, <laughs> what? That's not enough. Okay. What's the point? Yeah, what is the point? <laughs> I don't get that at all. Um, so hold on though, but this is 93 octane, buddy. We're, we're talking premium vehicle. We, we've got a premium vehicle. It needs premium gas. You're that's spending, where we're at. Yeah, that's kind of the <laughs> attitude that seems to be there. And when you pop the gas cap, it says to use premium. But if you like read the fine print, it'll run on regular, but it just makes like four less horsepower. That's the number I found. Maybe that number is incorrect. If so, it came from the Mazda website, but... I really anyway. hope it's not incorrect. We we have gained so much re- so much of our reputation on having loosely but correct numbers, right? Yeah, loose but correct is definitely the <laughs> full on definition of our podcast. <laughs> um, so okay. it's a plug in hybrid, right? Which means one of two things: either you're going to really like it because you live in a city, you plug it in, and you're going to drive around mostly on electric power. Or you're going to be kind of unimpressed because you don't live in a city, you can't take advantage of the battery as much as you would like to, and because of the extra weight of a larger battery, it's probably going to get worse fuel mileage than a regular hybrid. Okay. Which of those things do you think happened to me? Um, none of them. I think you're, you're throwing me for a loop here, and you're going to make me, you're going to, it's just... You're misdirect, right? A misdirect? Yeah. <laughs> what am I misdirecting you towards? You want me to say something and then I'm going to be like, I'm going to be the wrong one. You I don't want to be the to wrong one. You say something crazy. Yes. Uh, while you were rambling on about this, I found out that there's a 500-pound difference between the PHEV and the regular uh, turbocharged 6 model. That is quite a bit. That is a bit. That's a chunk. That is a big chunk. Yeah. Okay, tell me. What happened now? So, I... Yes, sir. It was cold while I was driving it, Sammy. It was so cold. And it has a 42-kilometer advertised battery range, which in miles is 26 miles, which is not a lot. No. But it's not nothing. And if you live if you live primarily in an urban environment, that's enough, I think, to get most of your driving done on a regular day before you have to plug in again. I, Whenever I turned on the vehicle, it never showed me more than like 23 kilometers of available range. So that's about, I don't know, 16 miles. So I was getting, not even 16 miles. I would say that's probably about 12 miles. So about brutal. It's like a 50% drop in available range just because the temperature was a little bit below freezing, like uh, uh, minus six degrees Celsius. I think that's probably like 28 or no, right around 30 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. Right. So I did some testing I wanted to see the nearest town, the nearest town of any size to me is about 25 kilometers away. So I wanted to see if I could get there and back on a single charge. I didn't think I could. Um, And actually, sorry, not 25 kilometers, about 21 kilometers. So outside. You're all over the place here, man. I'm doing the best. It's a lot of numbers. I know. I, I thought I could get there and back on a single charge. So what ended up happening was, even though it said that I only had that 22 or 23 kilometers of battery range, I actually managed to push it to 30 kilometers. If you look at like as a percentage of 42, that's around a 40% drivetrain loss, 30 to 40% drivetrain loss. That's a lot. But it's it's on the outside edge of what you would consider acceptable. Usually for you get about vehicle. 30. Yeah. So I'm stressed out by these numbers. I'm stressed out by the situation because I can think of one other, <clears throat> I would say it's similar sized 
and similar kind of, especially if Mazda is going premium, my number one competitor to this product would be the XC90, the Volvo, this is ridiculous because they have the same numbers in their name, but the <laughs> Volvo XC90 um, Recharge, which has 33 miles of electric range and 400 horsepower but it's- from a smaller, from a smaller um, gas motor with it as but well. But it's also $87,000. Yeah, so like it's, it's like twice the price. Yeah, it's it's considerably more expensive. The the other thing I didn't mention that happened to me while I was doing this battery-only testing was I I was going about 55 miles an hour. It's a speed limit around here, 90 kilometers an hour. And um, there's a bunch of hills in my area because it's near the mountains. And I was going up a hill that wasn't all that steep, but the, the the engine could not maintain highway speeds. It kept slowing, slowing, slowing. And I had my foot on the floor. Like I kept pushing the pedal, but nothing was happening. What? And eventually I had to kick it. And then the gas engine turned on and it got me over that hill. That's not great. What on earth? And that's because that electric motor in the CX-90 hybrid is 173 horsepower and 199 pound-feet of torque. It's not up to the task of really accelerating quickly or dealing with steep grades. And a 5,200 pound. Yeah, that's, you know, it's too much yeah. weight. It's just yeah. too much weight for the motor. So I was not really impressed with that aspect of the car. Um, as someone who lives in a rural area, you're not really going to get your, you're not going to maximize the potential of a plug-in hybrid, but especially right. in the winter and especially one that's this heavy. I got my fuel mileage is about 25 miles per gallon. And most of that was highway because I did take it on a very long road trip. The combined fuel mileage for the vehicle is listed at 25 miles per gallon. But as I was saying, mostly highway, I should have done better. I'm going to do the calculation here because I have it in units. That's 9.2 liters per 100 kilometers, which is what I got. But it should have been 27 on the highway. Either way, neither of those numbers are particularly great. Yeah. Like it's a big vehicle. So getting close to 30 miles per gallon I mean, that as advertised, that would be great. But I'm at 25. I'm below that. It's cold. That's gonna yeah. that's gonna hurt it. But still, it's 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 kind of a shrug. You know, it's the performance of the car isn't great. The plug-in power isn't great in the winter. The power, I mean, in general, wasn't great from the electric motor. And the fuel mileage just isn't there. So I'm not sure why someone would spend the extra money on this vehicle. I also noticed there's some roughness when it would switch back and forth between gas and electric from time to time. Not a lot, but enough to make you notice and think this isn't necessarily the premium experience I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, Sammy, though, there's one more thing that I really need to mention that is going to shatter the illusions that it was a premium car and that's that i had the hybrid system fail on me oops (laughs) while i was driving back to montreal to drop it off i was i was just tooling along at a normal speed taking the spirit of the rotary engine and incorporated into the electrical yeah it's it's it's, it's called rider in the saddle of the of the rotary yeah i'm driving along and i get this message that pops up very scary message that says hybrid system electrical leakage detected stop whoa stop vehicle in a safe location hybrid system electrical leakage what does that mean is it means sparks are flying out like the emperor from star wars or empire strikes back yeah force lightning coming out the bottom of your car there and it's it's actually the third movie right return of the jedi with the lightning you're really you're really catching me off guard is that the sixth movie sammy yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, electric hybrid, electrical hybrid leakage 
That's scary. Those are yeah. not, those are words I didn't think went together. You and know? Then, like, like all these other messages, like hybrid severe failure, all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So I pulled okay. Over. So you you were draining like what electric electric? I looked battery, behind me chemical? and I saw a trail of liquid electricity. You ever liquid. seen that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm always cracking open batteries. Electrolytes, I guess. Is how do they work? And I can never really see it happening in action. It's the worst. Um. So I pull over. Electrolytes, as you will. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. That was brilliant. I learned, I pull over, I don't turn it off because if I've learned anything over the years, it's that if you turn off a hybrid vehicle that's having a problem, it never turns back on. Never. I look up online. It turns out lots of people have this problem if they own a CX-90 plug-in. Some of them in like the first month of ownership had this issue and all of them who turned them off bricked the car. And when I say bricked the car, it was to the point where the transmission would not shift into neutral. So they had to come with like two tow trucks and a helicopter. They had to lift it. it. Well, you couldn't flatbed it because you're dragging the tires. Oh my God. So I'm sitting there idling. It's in park and already I'm like, oh man, am I going to be able to get out of park? I do get out of park. I drive it another hour to the city because all the people who had this problem, it was some kind of cooling AC system related to the battery cooling that was not functioning properly. Like it's a single part usually. And it's very cold outside. I'm not getting any temperature warnings. Um, I decided for the leakage. I decided to risk it because what's my alternative? Mazda would have to send someone to where I was. The middle of nowhere. Yeah. And somehow get the vehicle onto a flatbed, somehow get it to a dealership. It was, it was operating fine. I had no power loss. I was still driving on the battery, but this is the kind of message. Like this vehicle had 3000 miles on it. You know, Yeesh. so the you this is not a great way to launch a product. No, um, I I mean, obviously, I can't recommend this vehicle because it's very average almost everywhere. And then I had this scary problem, and it's not a good look for Mazda. Yeah, that's brutal. That's absolutely an awful way. But I mean, this is this is their their like. There's, this is where they're at, right? Like this is their own, this is their own technology, as far as I remember, their own engineering, their own know-how. But they're going to be changing, I think, in the future. Am I wrong about that? No, wait. I don't That's know. That's another automaker. The other thing is, Sammy, where are you going to go if you want a three-row plug-in? I mean, there, exactly. This is a very important point. We talked to make. about this a couple of weeks ago. There is the, the Lincoln. The Lincoln Aviator is gone. Yep. There's the Volvo that you mentioned. That's much more expensive. Yep. The only thing that's sort of close is the Kia Sorento. But it's, the, it's and smaller. the Mitsubishi, the Mitsubishi Outlander yeah, is also smaller. But it's not, it's not close. Like Sorento is the closest you'll get to the CX ninety. Isn't there a Jeep four by E, or is that just two? It's rows? not three row. Oh goodness! There's no, there's no Grand Cherokee L that, that's a four by E. Yeah, weird. So the hybrid, the Sorento is as close as you're going to get size wise. Like the Outlander is is a compact, so it's kind of you know no one should be using that third row seat. Like that's it's, right. It's not for any. Human. And the Sorento isn't much better. Yeah, but um. There is an alternative outside of the SUV world, the Chrysler Pacifica, which right. is similarly priced, nicer inside, and way more practical. And I got fantastic fuel mileage in it. Is it more reliable? I don't know. I mean, Uh-oh. well, I drove it nearly as many. I drove, I want to say I put 1,000 miles on the CX-90 on the road trip, and I probably put 800 on the Pacifica and I had no problems with it. And the Pacifica was, it had been used when I picked it up. Like it was, it had considerably more miles on it. No problems. So, I mean, I can't speak to what one year of ownership is going to be like, but. Okay. That's interesting. Um, that is an, that is an important thing to bring up. Why is this segment so like dreary? 
right? I think like, it's because no one knows how to market PHEVs. They're like not, they're not high. They're not plug in. They're not EVs. They're not not EVs. And so salespeople are like, I don't know what to do with this thing, and they just don't push them. So I, I think automakers are kind of not super interested. I mean, there's luxury ones, right? Like um, the X5 plug-in is really good. And there's a, doesn't Porsche have like a bunch of plugins now? Panamera's, Cayenne's, that kind of thing. Yep. But but you pay a lot for that. Right. But you're still missing this three row, this three row option. Now we have talked in the past though, where we said that that third row is like, it's not useful, right? No, but in the CX-90, it's not terrible. Right. And same with the minivan. The, uh, the minivan the is totally car. useful. It's, 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 it's very the useful. best third row you're going to get. And I, I would put that up against a, a Suburban. You know, like it's it's that good in terms of room. Um, that's important to, to, to mention. I mean, I think it's it's tough. It's a very difficult segment. And I think we're, we're, we really want to see this kind of diversity for the PHEVs. I don't think this model is this drivetrain is only reserved for luxury products or or compact SUVs like that I think there needs to be more right and you know the vehicle that you want to talk about this week is a yep. hybrid as well but not a plug-in but it is related to a plug-in that we've talked about on the show in the past yes yeah, so I drove the um the 2024 Toyota Prius um all-wheel drive not the prime which is the plug-in hybrid which is also um, all-wheel drive if I remember which is correctly. also all-wheel drive um I think and so. I was very um, curious about this product because, one, I remember Ben um, being somewhat lukewarm about, about this vehicle when we talked about it. But uh, recently, as we've reached the, the beginning of the new year, all of the awards have been flying off the shelves and being and are landing in the, in the Prius's trunk. So you've got the Canadian Car of the Year as well as the North American Car of the Year. It's, it's won both of those awards as well as, Wait, I think... is Canada part of North America? Yes, so you would think they, they didn't, they wouldn't need to have another award for them. But I, I they was, do. I was submitting something to be um, transcribed today to the service that I use, and it said, "No, there will be an extra fee if the accent is outside of North America slash Canada." And I'm like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> Um, but this is a, it seems to be a very popular car, critically acclaimed vehicle. And I, I just had to give it a go. Okay. And what I found was a vehicle that, um, will finally satisfy all of the Prius enthusiasts out there. You know what I mean? I need to correct myself. There's no all wheel drive on the prime. (laughs) Okay. But you heard me, right? I heard part of what you said. Something about enthusiasts do you hear? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. All of the Prius fans out there, they're going to be super super happy with what they've got here in the in the Prius, right? There are a lot of Prius fans. So Am I wrong? You need to mention that the Prius Prime, sorry, the Prius all-wheel drive has more horsepower than the regular Prius. Two more horsepower. Two more horsepower. 196 ponies. And and that's 24 horsepower less than the Prime. Yes. But all of these numbers are like way bigger than what you than used, they used to get to with be. the Prius. Yes. The, the Prius right. like the Prius used to be like almost a car. It was it was like a, a transport. <laughs> no, it was compromised. That's the best way to describe a it. A transportation appliance that got really good fuel mileage, but really left a lot about the driving experience in the rearview mirror. And that was fine if that's what you want. Like I can defend that as a, a segment of the market. Absolutely. It was an appliance that focused on one specific thing, which was to get excellent fuel economy. And it did and it, it really did, well. It, and it did it, it did it so well that everyone else was was playing catch up with those fuel those fuel economy numbers, right? Yes. Um, except, except for except for our old buddy, the Honda Insight. <laughs> <Yeah>. OG <laughs> Honda Insight two seater 
hatchback, yes. super aerodynamic, weighs as much as a mountain bike. <laughs> Yeah. And gets what three hundred miles per gallon, something like and that. I don't... <laughs> I'm not an expert, or am I? And I don't know if it even it, it hits highway speeds, but you know, eventually, I mean, downhill given a long, with, given a yes. long enough incline, um, decline. Sorry. So the, this is important to talk about because, as we mentioned, it was compromised, and that compromise came in performance. Significant, um, dig, like absolutely it was it was awful to drive you you had to have a lot of patience which it wasn't i think awful come on it wasn't awful I, the, I liked the last generation prius it was weird to look at but i also liked how it was weird because i think cars should be different from each other and the current prius is different as well like they kind of continuing that trend of of extroverted styling okay you want to you want to you want to support this um i'm going to tell you it took it took <laughs> 10 and a half seconds for the prius to hit highway speed what else takes 10 and a half seconds i don't know just in I general i don't know in your i life. think that is in a class of its own if you were standing in front of a microwave and you put 10 and a half seconds on it <laughs> i guarantee you you would take it out early like with 3 seconds left you would not be able to get to that 10 and a half seconds this new car does it in 7 seconds which is which is apparently faster than a camry hybrid and an elantra hybrid which is that is what insane. we're comparing things to now <laughs> i mean other hybrids out there which is important um all right oh so it's faster than the much larger and heavier hybrids okay yes okay um, is it so I, Yes. <laughs> no, go on. I don't want <laughs> Seven seconds is very good, and it feels very responsive off the line. It actually also feels pretty responsive um, in motion, which is, I think, one of the one of the areas where it struggled in the past. Um, one of the one of the things I think I, I used to really struggle with is just making a pass um, in motion on the highway, something like that, where you would have to wait for the CBT to kind of figure out what you're trying to do. And uh, and give you the the gear ratio that just, you need. You gotta just then, like white knuckle it, pretty much. Yeah, that is not the case anymore. I I don't feel that I have to like hold my breath and hope that everything works out. Now it feels so much more confident to to drive this this car out there, and I think that's a major upgrade for what the Prius is. It feels like a normal car. You said it was on the outskirts of being like a normal vehicle. It feels now more like a like a like a via, like a normal car. But is that enough for it to be considered like? A car of the year winner, right? Well, like last year, there were a couple of good cars, weren't there? I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember anything. No. I'd have to go back through the archives to see if there were any good cars. Um, <laughs> but I guess it's enough? <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> well, come on. Even the, like, think about the Integra and the Type S that you drove. We, we talked about, you know, other vehicles like the Accord or those Blackwing Cadillacs, stuff like that. Those are cool cars. They might be the last of their kind. Um, the, to give it to the Prius, a nameplate that's been doing this fuel efficiency thing for so long. Um, I think it's like if you had a friend who had been trying to run a marathon for 10 years and never made it past like the 12 mile mark or whatever. Sure. And then one year that friend trained really, really hard and they made it to like the 18 mile mark, they would be the friend of the year. I think that's okay. I think that's what we're going for here with the Prius. Okay, got it. Um I think that they have made some significant improvements inside the vehicle. I think that that people aren't as um they aren't putting that in the headlines. I think the car's cabin is kind of neat, but one of my one of my biggest um issues with the vehicle of course is that the the nose feels extremely long. So dimensions and and visibility in the vehicle feel a little bit bizarre. Um 
and um, the steering is is really numb. It's it's got no steering feel, which is a shame because the chassis is much more is much stiffer and more responsive altogether. But um, it's not like an engaging car to drive. Did you it's, get it's a responsive, chance? Did you get a chance to test out the all wheel drive in any kind of snowy conditions? Actually, the the weather warmed up significantly when I had it, which is a shame. Um, so no, I just had it in the dry. Uh, I mean, I tried that. What like last month? I was talking about the Corolla all-wheel yeah. drive, right? Hybrid. I'm assuming it's a similar kind yeah, of yeah. setup. It's very similar. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to talk about with the Prius? Just you're no. kind of you're kind of feeling like it's good, but it shouldn't be car of the year. No, I mean, like this is an above-average vehicle um, by the barest, uh, like the the minimum, you know, sort of degree, minimum margin. And while there are a lot of other good cars that came out this year, this should make a significant impact. I think if everyone was driving Priuses or Pri, we wouldn't need to, you know, rely so much on on battery-powered vehicles. Okay, it's funny that you mentioned that because Toyota recently did this. Toyota, as we all know, Toyota hates EVs. They're they not, just don't. They hate investing in EVs. I yeah, think they're not interested problem. in spending money to save the <laughs> yeah. planet. So there was this talk that they gave at a um, an industry meeting where they said something like did you know that a single the amount of raw materials included in a single battery electric vehicle's battery would be enough to create batteries for 109 priuses and in my but, mind yeah i'm like is that desirable like how many we don't need that many. No, but what's I the, only need one car. Right? No, no. What's the metric here though? Is the is the idea that 109 Priuses are better than a single battery powered EV? Because if you're looking at consumption of resources, building 109 vehicles is certainly not better than building one vehicle. Like this Well, there, listen, to Toyota it is because they could sell 100 cars compared to just one. Yeah, right? that's the thing. It's just it's a really crazy way to 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 preface an argument about ecological responsibility by saying we could consume so many more resources if we weren't just building <laughs> BEVs. Why don't we build all these Priuses? If we had two BEVs, we could build 218 Priuses. Like that kind of talk. So if someone says that, I can't take them seriously. Like right. everything else that comes out is so clear, like past that point is so clearly part of an agenda. And Toyota has not been shy about their agenda. They're not even being subtle about it anymore. They need to get off of that and talk about the fuel. They could get, imagine you were replacing 109 like ice powered vehicle, entirely ice powered vehicles (sighs) with more fuel efficient um, hybrids. And I think that's more along the lines that they want to get to, but they, they did it. I feel like you're, you're going a long way to, to create like a, a, an apology for Toyota here. I feel like Toyota doesn't even put in this kind of effort for Toyota here. And another thing, they need to bring back the Solara convertible. And another thing, no one's talking about uh, (laughs) hydrogen fuel cells all of a sudden. So like, I'm curious as to how many Mirais we could build with that battery. Yeah. Very true. Uh. <laughs> before before we sign off, there's one more vehicle I want to talk about this week. And we're going to do this one quickly because I drove it to test out two specific things, or sorry, one specific thing, but I ended up finding out something else that was just as interesting. Ooh, that's intriguing. So I had an Ionic 5, and I had it in rear-wheel drive, and it was wintertime. And 
the reason I, I I wrote this feature up for a client was because we've been indoctrinated to believe that if you don't have all-wheel drive in the winter, you are going to die. You, you are, are maybe going all, to die. You are maybe you already, and your family, and maybe your extended family. You may are maybe already dead before you get to the dealership <laughs> because. Uh, it makes profits for car companies to sell all-wheel drive vehicles. It's extra equipment. They can charge you more. This has been a really great triumph of marketing. So right. I'm living out in the boonies now, lots of snow, EV. A lot of the EVs these days are rear-wheel drive architecture because, to be honest, it's better. Yep. Just from a driving dynamics perspective. But also, with an electric car, you have a lot more control over where you put the weight of the vehicle because you don't have a drivetrain sitting at the front or at the rear. Instead, you have a large battery that is typically very low in the platform, and you can get almost 50-50 weight distribution just by moving that battery forwards and backwards. It's very simple. So a lot of these rear-wheel drive EVs have great handling characteristics, or they're they're very neutral. However you want to do it, you can tune it. Okay. Lots of people think rear-wheel drive is bad in the winter because of all that weight being in the front. Again, EVs take care of this problem because the weight is evenly distributed. And they also tend to be heavier. Which, there's a lot of that weight. Yes. Yeah, and that can help you in terms of traction because the weight is pushing down um, more so than... Like, you know, if you have a pickup truck and you have an empty cargo area, it's not going to get off the line as easily as a car, as, as like a 911, which has weight over the rear axle. So anyway, I wanted to see for the client if rear-wheel drive EVs were just as good in the winter. And this is a good choice because the Ionic is available with all-wheel drive if you want. Uh, and it has a lot more power if you get the all-wheel drive model. But, you know, cut to the chase. It, it, it performed perfectly fine. We had five or six inches of snow that I was cutting through. Unplowed Dang. roads, unplowed driveway. I tried to get it stuck. I tried to sit it in snowbanks to see what it would do. I never had a problem getting out. It was on decent winter tires. I was really impressed with how it handled. Um, the weird thing about this, though, in Canada... The price difference between the rear-wheel drive model and the all-wheel drive model is like $3,000. Or sorry, $2,000, I think. Okay. That's nothing. That's You think that's nothing? I mean, maybe it's nothing over like monthly payments or a lease. Yeah. But I think if you're... I mean, it's what? 5% of the purchase price? But when, it, when I say it's nothing, it's because when you pay that extra $2,000, you go from 225 horsepower and 258 pound-feet of torque to another... 95 horsepower and more than 200 more pound feet of torque because of that extra motor that comes with the all-wheel right. drive system. That is important. I agree with you on that. So the other things to keep in, keep into uh, take into account when you're looking at the rear-wheel drive versus the all-wheel drive is they have the, I had the long range version of the rear-wheel drive car. It's a 77.4 kilowatt hour battery. That's the same that you would get with the all-wheel drive. The the charging mm-hmm. distances it was 488 kilometers for rear wheel, 414 for um, the all wheel drive, Oof. which is 303 miles and 303 260. miles at 260. Yeah, so that's a that's a, a fair difference, especially when you look at the all wheel drive model. You can add 20 inch rims to it, which aren't really available on the base, and that Ooh, will. Further... I don't want that. I don't want that. No, no. I don't want that because that. That, that's so much more expensive in terms of winter tire. But it's not even like that. winter rubber. It's not even that. It's the fact that it's going to cut into your range. Oh, right. That too. So uh, here I am thinking about more more spending, more things taking up my money. Yeah. Um, so anyway, in, in the US, the price difference is about $4,000. It's a little bit larger. Ooh. But it's worth mentioning that, that that base model that I was, when you, when you jump up to, actually, no. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong about that. The, so in, in the U.S., there is a standard range rear-wheel drive model that we don't get, which has yep. a... Um, which is very attractively priced. It's $41,000, $42,000. It's, it's 168 horsepower. 
Oh and yeah, it's, that's, it's a smaller that's battery, less horsepower than the Prius, and has two hundred twenty miles of range. Boo. So okay. The next model up, the SE, gets you the bigger battery. Okay. And that is forty five thousand dollars, and you can get all wheel drive with that. I don't know the the ad, but it's it's there's more options in the states. I also want to touch on this. It's thirty five hundred dollars for the for the all wheel drive. Okay, so it becomes a more of a consideration. I think yeah. that's because in Canada. The all of the models that are sold here have a high level of equipment in general. Like, yeah, uh, there's only like what two trims or something? Three there's, trims? There's maybe? only there's only one trim for twenty. Oh my bad. Okay. And it it uh, has no options on the base, but the you can get an ultimate package on the on the uh, all wheel drive model, and that's six thousand dollars, and it gives you like like panoramic sunroof and um, adaptive cruise control, but like advanced adaptive cruise control with more of a self driving feature. Yeah. I want to talk about, though, in the States, there are one, two, three, four, five trim levels. The most expensive Ionic 5 is something called... It doesn't called, count. It doesn't count. It's something called the D100 <laughs> Platinum Edition. This is a, Everyone knows what D100 means, right? D100, to me, is like a Dodge pickup. But according to <laughs> Hyundai, it is the Disney 100 exclusive model, which has something called debossing, debossing. On the front headrest and center center console uh, armrest, it has platinum edition badges with all sorts of Disney stuff on it. So instead of embossing, they're debossed. Who's buying this car? <laughs> I love that when you look at it in the on the website, it says available in extremely, extremely limited quantities. limited quantities. It's it's. Then so why even have it there? Like if it's you fifty nine thousand dollars. Have you seen? Wow, that's expensive. Have you seen the wheels on this? They're they're Mickey Mouse ears. Is that what they are? Yeah. Oh They're my. like the hats you would get at, at Disneyland. You know, the regular wheels on the um, Ionic are pretty nice. They're like a flower shape, like a flower yep. petal. But uh, moving, away power, from the, moving away from the Disney car, the last thing I want to talk about with the Ionic was... It didn't this really... is what happens when Mickey gets released into the public domain. They just throw them, throws them on wheels. So the, the Ionic did well in the snow. I had no problems. Where it did not do well was in the cold okay yeah that adds up so and let me get this straight cold and snow they come together don't they what do you mean to form what <laughs> <laughs> to form a mega uh, like a megazord, of course yeah. a megazord? um you can't get you can't get much cold you when you're cold snow's gonna happen and when you're when snow's happening there's gonna be some cold uh that's how that's science man come on it was about 23 degrees Fahrenheit here. That was okay. as warm as it got. And it got Ooh. down to um, about 12 degrees. So that's between minus 5 and minus 11 Celsius. When I turned the key or pushed the ignition button in the morning on the Ionic 5, it lost 124 miles of range. Oh, my God. Okay. That's a 200-kilometer drop <laughs> off of the 488. So Oops. even... It Don't went from, press the power button next time. It went from <laughs> 303 miles of range to like 175. I'm sorry. Did your car get downgraded to the the base model? The it really model? felt that way. And <laughs> it was odd because sometimes I would drive a little bit and I would gain like eight or nine more miles of range, I guess, as the heating system for the battery warmed everything up. Yeah. But it was still way, way below average. Now, if you do percentages, this is still between 30 and 40%. Like, so that's what okay. you can expect with this big battery car. But for someone like me who lives out in the country and my, my partner, she goes into the city once a week. 
We considered buying one of these cars. The reason we didn't is because we could not get one. They are not available. We didn't we didn't want the Disney one, but even even the non-Disney ones were hard to get last year. Right. That would be impossible for her to do that round trip without stopping for for fueling, for charging. And uh, she could maybe do it with having like 30 kilometers left on the batteries, like 15, 16 miles left on the battery when she came home. But that's the kind of razor's edge that you don't want to be riding in the winter, right? No, not at all. So I was disappointed by that. I, I really didn't expect to lose that much power. So I'm or not power, rage, con- sorry. I'm curious if it was just being super conservative. And of course, it doesn't. It, I don't want you to test this out, especially where you're where you're at now. Um, and I don't have and, a way to test it out because I don't have like a perfectly flat featureless service to drive yeah. it on, right? <clears throat> yeah. So I wonder if it's just being very conservative because that's something that I think a lot of um, EVs, like let's call the let's call the Ionic Five, I would call it more of like a second generation um, EV because this is riding on its on its own platform, unlike some of the original sort of compliance EVs that came out there, and those used to have like wildly like out of this world. Uh, range estimates that could change super dramatically. Um, you would turn it on, think you've got this, and then suddenly you're driving and like just chunks of range start dropping off. This one in particular is telling you the opposite. It's saying, actually, you don't have a lot of range. And then as you go, you got driving, you start seeing that, oh, maybe you do. It is what you thought. And the computer is kind of adjusting for the temperature and and capabilities of the vehicle. So it's curious to see that because I know a lot of people talk about um expectations range expectations especially in the winter just change so dramatically yeah um and you want to be you want to have faith in what your card is telling you and i don't know if we're we're able to get that i think i think you're right i think everything you just said is right um did you listen to everything really i did or did you stop after 75 percent and i understood 50 percent but <laughs> I, do, of that. I do want to say though even if it is being conservative let's say it's being conservative and it's only a hundred mile drop that's still a lot. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I do know that a lot of um, Tesla owners have told me that their vehicles drop off so so quickly. Oh, yeah. Their, it's, their range drops off so quickly. And, but, but I guess the point I'm making is this is probably one of the most affordable long range vehicles out there. And it's still an edge case for me as someone who doesn't really live that far from the city, but far enough for me to think twice in the wintertime. In the summer, it would be a no-brainer. It's not an issue at all. But in the winter, <clears throat> it does change the equation for people who live in the country and need to rely on an electric vehicle. There you go. Another week in another uh, EV um, EV optimism has been squashed. That's no, I really still happened. like it. I, I still really like this vehicle. And the thing is, I'm just kidding. The other thing to consider too yes. is I'm comfortable driving rear wheel drive in the winter time. I don't have an issue with it. My partner is not as experienced a driver as I am. And I would feel more comfortable if they were driving the all wheel drive version, but that model is going to have 53 miles of range less right off the bat. So all of a sudden it means she has to charge in the city and she has to charge at home. And it's, that's without cons- adopting or taking into consideration the range drop that happens in the colder weather. No, that is that is taking that into oh, consideration. Oh, that is okay. Yeah. Sorry. So, like, that's not impossible to do, but it does add a pain point for her. Yeah. No, it, that's it, brutal. It, it extends her commute because she's probably not going to be able to find charging near her office. She can definitely find charging on the way home, but it means stopping for I don't know 10, 15 minutes splash. Uh, getting out of the car in the cold and it's probably snowing. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if the plugs are available. It just makes it, I guess I'm saying it makes it harder to plan. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. There's, there's no way I'm going to disagree with you on this because the last time I did, I just got, uh, 
I got, I felt bad for a whole week. I sent you a lot of letters and you got them Um, weeks later and they were out of context and the heat had cooled. (laughs) And they were frankly, we were, we were friends again. (laughs) We are. And then it just upset the apple cart. Of course. Um, Anything else you want to talk about this Ionic? Is it still impressive? Now it's been on the market for what? I like it. I think it's four great. years. I really Three or like four it. Four years. I know. I was just talking. You know, in this very specific winter situation, it was not. It was less than ideal, but I think it has a great interior room. I think it looks good. It drives nice. It has features I want and not a lot of garbage that I don't want. And uh, I, I'm still into it. But you know what's weird is when when they first came out the the Ionic Five and and the Six. Yep. I was like all pro Bionic 5. I really liked the kind of like Nintendo cartridge styling and everything. Yeah. But now I look at the 6 and I'm like, mm, that looks good. And I don't know. You really? Really? Yeah, I didn't like it at first and it's grown on me. And now if I had to choose, I don't know what I would choose. What about the um, Kia product, the EV6? No, Does that, that enter the equation at all? No, because I think it's, I mean, I like how it drives, but it's generic to me. It looks a lot okay. more generic. I think the, 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 the deal breaker between 6 and 5 from a practicality standpoint, yeah. I mean, there's so much more cargo space in the five. Like, it's not even yeah. close. Hey, I told you I moved a bookshelf in in the six once. Yeah, in the six. Yeah, it has twelve cubic feet of cargo space. <laughs> I, it has a pass through. It does back, have a so pass through. Yeah, I use that very nicely. Um, these vehicles are still are still super practical and they do work, but you do have to like. There are so many like caveats that you have to be aware of. And maybe just because us, we live in extreme weather conditions, like the, the winters that we receive and the, the summers we get are pretty hot too. And that can also impact range too. Yeah, definitely can. So it's, it's tough. What is this like medium weather condition that apparently is ideal for these vehicles? I'm sure there's, all year well, long? it's whatever the EPA test is, right? Like it's <laughs> 70, 72 degrees, I guess. Perfect. Always. And uh, you'll never worry about things ever again. So um, wrapping things up for this week, if you want to find out more about the podcast, hear past episodes, find find out where you can hear us on a regular basis, you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We have links to all the podcasters that we're on. We have links to past episodes. We have links to things that we're doing that are unrelated to cars, things that are related to cars. There's like 370 episodes almost up there now. So... There's a lot of stuff to do, and if you don't feel like using the web, and I can't blame you, you can find us on any podcatcher. Just type Unnamed Automotive Podcast. We are all over the place, and if you can leave a review or a comment or something, that would really help us out. Um, additionally, if you want to get in touch with us, that's fair. That you know, that's a great way to that's a great way to to engage with us as hosts, and we we appreciate engaging with our listeners. It's really cool. I think. You can do that through our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form. You fill that out, and it lands in our inbox. Whatever you say, hopefully it's nice. Um, we will read it. We will discuss it. And if you make a – more likely than not, our, our, our listeners are very uh, perceptive, and they, they leave really good points, and we'd like to talk about them on the, on the next episode. Additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's unnamed. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. <laughs> Sorry, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben on the filter-flavored world of Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on the social media network, formerly known as Twitter. It's X. And I am at Sammy underscore hi, like you're laughing. Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? I've got the 2024 Subaru Ascent to talk about. Ooh. But wait a minute. That embargo that I had on the uh, 
on the BMW X2 is up. So maybe I'll talk about that. That sounds good. Uh, I am going to be talking about a surprise vehicle that I wasn't intending to drive, but showed up in my driveway. The Mercedes-Benz EQE AMG sedan, not the, sedan. Not the SUV, the sedan, which I had not tried before. Very important distinction. Very. I can't wait to talk to you about this because um, these EQ vehicles, they bring up a wide a wide variety of opinions. There's a lot going on, Sammy. <laughs> okay. So I'll talk to you next week, Ben. See ya. Bye.